How we doing, church? Doesn't it feel good to give? Come on now, be honest. It does, right? I don't know about you, but every time, this time of year, it seems like there's always something that comes up that you can use that special contribution for. But when you have decided in your heart to give, give it. That's why my wife and I have made a habit of giving it early every year because I'm like, you know what, Lord? If it stays in the account any longer, we might be able to convince ourselves. But Jesus understands. We, we, we give every year. Say, move it out. Say, move it out. <laughs> move it out. I know a little something. Poquito, poquito. Anyway. Uh, this past Wednesday, I had the honor and of meeting up with our Edge Ministry and our our uh, Fired Up Edge Ministry, and we did this lesson together about the me first mentality. And I had an entirely different message prepared for today, but as I kept praying and I kept praying and asking God for more insight, God pointed me back to this message. I don't know why. But apparently the Lord wants you guys to hear it again. Because we all weren't there to hear it the first time. And here's the truth. Shortly after doing this message on Wednesday, I was confronted with the me first mentality. And it just, you know, so if, if I, I think I know I need to hear it again. And hopefully those of us who heard it will stay awake to hear it again. The me first mentality. In Luke chapter 9, verses 57, we'll get there in a second. You know, as Jesus went about his earthly ministry, people either wanted to follow him or invited by him to come follow him. And some of those people that were either called or initiated following Jesus wanted to do so on their own terms. They would follow Jesus as long as there were certain conditions in place. And I think sometimes we can have the same mentality. We can have the same mentality when it comes to following Jesus. I will follow you if I still get to hold on to a little bit of the world. I'll still follow you if it doesn't mean me having to come out of my pockets. I will follow you if... I don't have to share my faith with people. I don't like talking to strangers. It makes me uncomfortable. I will follow you if, and you fill in the blanks. But Jesus, he puts all that to bed. In Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, we're going to read here in the English Standard Version. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Lord, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. This me first mentality was deeply opposed to Jesus' concept of following him. Oh, I'm sorry. Felt like secret service right there, right? Like, like psst. I'm happy to announce that our preliminary account, preliminary amount for what we sacrificed and gave to the Lord today has amounted to, did I get, did I, get, I have to tell you guys <laughs> what my wife and I did one year to, to for, all right, y'all, y'all don't hear all that. All right. $73,742.30 to the glory of God. Amen? You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. God is good, isn't he? Now let's get back to this me first thing. You know, Jesus demanded that For us to follow him, we have to deny ourselves. And, you know, you don't really understand that sometimes. I think initially, when you're called to follow Jesus, you know, most of us want to make a change in our lives. And I think that initial euphoria of just, of of the expectation of, you know, maybe being in better shape, we get excited about it. And we're willing to do whatever it takes until week three. And we get invited to a barbecue. Or we get invited to someone's house for, bar- for, for Bible talk. And for this particular night, they're not serving nachos and soda. The couple decided they're going to cook. And you're trying to lose weight. And you're trying to get yourself in shape. And ain't nothing in there gluten-free. There's nothing in there on, your, on your, your Weight Watchers point list. You're sitting there trying to calculate, like, how many calories and points is this? And then it hits you. Man, it is hard to live a lifestyle of self-denial. You know, as a young Christian, people say, James, can you help us out? We need you to pick up some chairs. Hey, man, don't even worry about it, man. You know, I'm serving at weddings. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm serving at conferences and all this stuff, Put, picking up chairs and sweeping and all that stuff. It was great until I started getting tired. It's like, hey, bro, can you, can, can you help us, uh, can you help us uh, pick up the song books? Remember back in those days we had to collect all the song books? And, and I'm like, yo, I'm tired, man, you know. Can't somebody else do this? And you don't want to say no because you don't want to be a bad Christian, right? But do you realize that Jesus actually meant it? You've got to deny yourself. He required in Luke 14, 26, he said, hate your own life. Jesus said, you've got to hate your life. That's not easy. It's not easy to hate your own life. You know, we live in a culture that praises putting self first, looking out for number one. The way I was raised, when it came to my money, I was told, pay yourself first. 
That's the way I was raised. Most financial classes, they tell you, pay yourself first. Jesus says you give to God first. You don't have to worry about the government. They're going to get theirs. You don't have to worry about paying them first. They're going to take care of it. They'll help you out with that. But when it comes to giving God, we are called to give him the first fruits of our labor. That is a mentality shift to a total self-denial lifestyle. I'm going to deny myself and give to God first and what's important to him. You know, it's easy for Christians to adopt this me-first mentality if we're not careful. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this today, if you give me, give me a chance. The me-first mentality. How does this show up? Well, sometimes you look at some people's Facebook pages, you can say, man, those are a lot of selfies. I don't see anybody else in the pictures. And I'm like, and it's not like they're taking 100 pictures in one spot. It's like everywhere, on the beach, in the club, at church, at the store. You know, it's like selfies all over the place. It's like, where's your friends? Where's everybody else, right? So it's so easy to creep into our mentality if we're not careful. How does it show up to Christians? Well, I think it shows up in our attendance. When we come to church, it should be like a party. It should be a celebration. In fact, every time we come to church in the Old Testament, or actually the New Testament Christians in 1 Corinthians, their, their communion was considered a love feast. So every time they got together, it was a feast. It was a party. It was a celebration of their unity together. It hurts my heart when I hear that Christians don't even want to come to church. Christians. We're not talking about your visitors. We're talking about those who said Jesus is Lord. Have a hard time getting themselves ready for church. The scriptures reveal a togetherness culture in the church. Jesus died for us to be together. You know what? There are over 450 scriptures about unity and togetherness in the New Testament alone. I only got 13 I want to look at. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Acts 2, 44 through 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, God will add to a happy family. God will add to a selfless family. God will add to a unified family. Acts 14, verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. You know, good news is shared when we're together. 
when we're discouraged and, 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 and on our own, you need encouragement. Everyone needs encouragement. Everyone needs encouragement. And there are good things that's shared when we're together. Acts 15, verse 30. The men were sent off and, down, and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Ephesians 2, verse 22. And to him and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. There's more. Ephesians 3, verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of God. Paul's wish was that we experience the love of Jesus together. And I love this next one in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He said it's going to be an awesome worship service like nothing we have ever experienced before. I mean, who can say they had church in the clouds with Jesus? But we get to experience, if we're still here when he comes, we get to experience that together. And then he goes on in verse 18, therefore encourage each other with these words. Chapter 5, verse 10, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. There's more. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 11:39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what has been promised. God plans something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. 3 John, verse 8. We ought to therefore show hospitality to such men so that we may work for the truth together. Together. There was a culture of togetherness in the church. There was an expectation of togetherness in the church. They expected to meet together. They expected to pray together. They expected to eat together. They expected to be built up and encouraged together. There was a sense of togetherness in the church. There are many blessings and benefits of being together. I have not found one promise in the Bible saying that you will be blessed if you stay alone. That you will be built up all by yourself. Just keep yourself encouraged. Keep yourself accountable. There's no scripture that builds up oneness except the oneness that we have in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, I can't go on vacation without missing the fellowship. Trust me, it takes about third, maybe fourth day before I start missing y'all, but I do eventually start missing you. And I start needing to be back with the fellowship. When I was out because of my back surgery, I was in pain, not because of the back, but because I longed to be with the church. 
Let me tell you something. Satan will get on you when you're by yourself. I'm fighting back all sorts of demons, praying and reading my Bible. I'm like, Lord, please help me through this so I can get back to church because I need some encouragement. It's what God expects. I can't, you know, my, my two children, when they're, not, when they're not together, that breaks my heart. And I can't imagine God would feel otherwise. When we're not together, you don't think God's concerned about that? You see, some will often put personal interests before opportunities to be together. Let me ask you a couple questions here. How's your small group attendance? How's, your, how's it going showing up to the prayer, prayer group twice a month? Twice. If all you had to do is show up to work twice and still get paid, we'd be early and we'd stay late. We asked the church to get together twice a month in a small group to pray. Some of us can't even do that. And it's not because it's impossible. And it's not because your situation is unique. It's because you're thinking about you first. Let's just call it what it is. Because I believe that everyone in this room has faith and we have the same spirit that Paul talks about. We have a spirit of power, of self-discipline. You cannot tell me that your God cannot free up your schedule so you can meet together for two times one month. I, I refuse to believe it. I refuse to believe it. Do you make time to get trained in righteousness? That's what discipleship is, being trained in righteousness. Do you make time to train others in righteousness? i tell you one thing. It's encouraging the amount of people who want to get trained, who want help, who welcome help. But like Jesus said, the workers are few. It's not the harvest. It's the workers. You know, i tell you. I thank God for all the hours, the hundreds of, and, and possibly thousands of hours, man hours poured into me staying faithful. And I got discipled on everything. The way I dressed, the way I spoke. I mean, I got, I got discipled on everything. And I thank God for every single man and woman that was in my life, that God put in my life, that invested in my salvation. I wouldn't be here today, and I'm not just saying that. I know James Warren. I would not be here today if there were not people invested in me, training me in righteousness, and giving me the opportunity to train others in righteousness. Because you can't just sit there and be given to. you got to give back. Do you make the time to train others in righteousness? How many times just this month have you turned down an opportunity to sit in a Bible study? I'm tired was never an excuse that the most physically drained man in the world gave. Jesus was the most physically drained person we know. He walked everywhere. And when he got there, there was a whole town of people. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, 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 gimme. Gimme a miracle. Gimme some bread. Gimme fish. Gimme something. And then they wanted to keep him in the town. I could get what I want with Jesus. Jesus. 
I got healed. I got a free lunch. Man, I might even get in and pay my rent. Jesus was drained. You don't think he was drained? When the woman who was bleeding, she touched his garment, he felt the power leave him. I'm tired. Who ain't tired? If, if, you, if, you, if you're tired, raise your hand. We came to church tired. I mean... <laughs> That's right. We come to church tired. You know what? You're going to leave tired. We got to be careful of this me first mentality, church. Especially when it comes to our attendance. You're not hurting anybody but yourself. And please, when people ask about why you're not, why you don't come, don't, don't, don't fight them. Thank them. Thank them. You know, I would be concerned if nobody called me. Because then that means I'm not on anybody's radar, that nobody cares. I'd be concerned if nobody was like, hey, bro, you all right? I hadn't seen you in a while. That's when you, knew, that's when you need to be concerned. You know, in 3 John, just to show you how intense this thing is, in 3 John verse 8, the elder gives an example of how this mentality can impact entire churches on a relational level. In 3 John, verses 9 through 11, I said verse 8, I mean verse 9. This is, this is John, he's writing, I wrote to the church, but Diophrates, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil is not seeing God. You know, this guy, this brother, now, it, what's interesting about Diophrates is that he doesn't mention anything about there being any doctrinal issues. Strictly relational. John said he had a me-first mentality, he said, who loves to be first. And this drove a wedge between the churches. He let these personal feelings toward John keep him from building community and family and togetherness. And let me ask you something. Are you allowing unresolved conflicts to keep you from the fellowship? People switching regions and switching ministries and switching small groups because they refuse to practice Matthew 18. Because they refuse to love each other deeply. Yes, it's uncomfortable to have to have those conversations, but there is no other option. We're a family. What do you expect of your children? For those of us who are parents. Well, I'm going to stay on this side of the house. He's going to stay on that side of the house. You won't, live, you won't allow that with your own kids, so why would you allow that of yourself? I've had to have many conversations, uncomfortable ones, apologize many times, swallow my pride just for the sake of togetherness because I love my brother more than that. I love my sister more than that. I'm not going to let anything come between us. You know, inconsistent attendance is a sign of the me-first mentality. Another way it shows up is in our contribution. Now, we just had a great victory, and I don't want to take away from that. 
But Christians are instructed to give out of our prosperity. And I always find that interesting. Because that's assuming that we're prosperous, right? And I think most of us go back and we look at our chat and say, I don't see what Paul sees. I'm not seeing the prosperity. I'm not seeing that. So that doesn't apply to me. (laughs) But when we compare ourselves to a good portion of the rest of the world, guys, you are blessed. We are blessed. I mean, think about the things, and most of us here, you know, a lot of us come from from some of these countries. DR being one, Haiti being another. Haiti is a poor country. They're liberated, but they're poor. They have their freedom, but they're poor. And it breaks my heart when, you know, when, when, when I look at photos and when I, when I talk to people who are from there and they're just saying how they're still rebuilding from the last earthquake. We've, we've, for the most part, we've recovered from Sandy. These countries are still recovering. And when I think about that and I think about, man, we have brothers and sisters in these countries who can't depend on electricity. We got Con Ed. And look, not for nothing, since when's the last blackout we had? For the most part, you can plug in your phone, you can plug in your TV, you can plug in anything you want. You don't even think twice about the electricity not coming on unless you didn't pay your bill, then you got some reason to worry. But for the most part, we're not thinking about when we go to the fridge, the light's not going to be on. We're not thinking about when it's time for me to take a shower, I'm not going to have cold water or I'm not going to have clean water. We're not thinking about those things. But there are people who have to think about those things. They have to ration their meals every day. We get hungry, we can walk to the bodega. There are people who have to budget, who have to budget their meals because of what they make, who have to make a decision. Do we send the kids to school or do we eat this week? We don't worry about those things. You can sit in Starbucks, you can read your Bible out loud. We have brothers in the Middle East and and, 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 and in communist countries like China who can't even share their faith publicly. And we pass up on opportunities to talk to people. This This me first mentality can ruin a church. It can ruin a generation. Because if our kids don't see examples in us, what will, they, what will they do when we're gone? In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6, we're instructed to give out of our prosperity. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food would also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way. Now this is not a promise that you're going to prosper just for giving. I want to be very clear on this. It doesn't mean that if you give, God's going to automatically drop a million dollars in your bank account. That's not what this is saying. You'll be, rich, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be what? 
generous on every occasion. God has blessed you so that you can bless others. You know what humbles me most about this? Is that I was a birth away from being born in a third world country. I could have been born in sub-Saharan Africa. God chose me to be born in America. That's not so we can just live up the American dream. It's so that we can be prosperous and that others can benefit from our prosperity. So when God gives you a raise, guess what? God expects you to give a raise. He didn't just bless you so you can be comfortable. God has blessed us so that we can make others comfortable. He put you in that position. Think about this. You could have been on the receiving end of this. You could be on the receiving end of someone else's generosity. How generous would you want them to be? How sacrificial would you want them to be? You know, I believe our brothers and sisters in Haiti are thanking God that we're generous. They, they, they share in tears how grateful they are for our generosity because they know that it's not easy for us. And Paul says he wants there to be balance. He doesn't want us to be hard-pressed, but he wants there to be a balance that their faith should supply what we need. Because let's be honest, sometimes we worry more about materialistic things than those in need. We worry about losing things that we have and we worked hard for. That's not a luxury they have. So their faith should feed our faith. You know, I believe the one way to show up, the one way this shows up, is that we fail to properly budget our contribution to the Lord. If you set aside a sum of money every week like the Lord says, you wouldn't be so stressed when it comes time to give. If you put it right, that's what Paul says. Didn't he say that? You know, I think part of the problem is that we're burdened with so many bills for things that are not necessities, but we're luxuries. And we're paying these things off. And so when, we're, when, we're, when special comes around or when that plate comes around, we get stressed because we're thinking we legitimately got bills to pay. But these aren't bills for necessities. These are things that we wanted, that we borrowed to get. And so now we're stressed. You know, my wife and I, we marvel at how much money some parents at our kids' school spend on birthday parties. And I'm like, man, this family's not rich. How are they doing this? How, I mean, how are they able to do this? And, and I'm not saying you can't have a great birthday party for your kids, especially if you saved up for it, but... I'm thinking, man, how are they able to? And they invite the whole class. We, when we do a party for our kids, you can pick two friends. <laughs> and I'm baking the cake. And you better believe we at the dollar store. We, we get a little, 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 you know, little gift bag. My wife, she makes it awesome. All right? But we got a little budget. Chuck E. Cheese parties? Uh, I'm sorry, not this year, buddy. You get what I'm saying? I mean, but... And it, then it dawned on us, they don't give weekly contribution. They don't give to a special missions. They're not committed to those things. So that money that they would, they would give to God, they use it for themselves. So they're able to do that. You know, we can't keep up with the Joneses. We just can't, guys. We can't keep up with the Joneses and be true disciples of Jesus Christ. Romans 12 tells us to no longer 
follow the patterns of this world. When we neglect to give out of our prosperity, it is a sign of a me-first mentality. Another way it shows up is in our service to one another. In 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 11, and the plane is landing soon. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 11, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over multitudes of sin. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Without grumbling. I don't know how to say it in Greek. That's why I'm repeating it. (laughs) Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Look, your, your apartment doesn't need to be a mansion to practice hospitality. We know what it is to be in Harlem. We know our apartments aren't that big, but that doesn't mean that we can't practice hospitality. It doesn't. Throw, throw a blanket over that laundry. You know, like, look, we all, have, we all have bad laundry days. You know, it's been times we don't get to the dishes in time. But like, look, let's keep it real, but that's not going to keep our doors closed. Matter of fact, you can help me wash these dishes, brother. Let's put the scripture into practice. You can help me take out some trash, you know what I mean? Don't just sit there looking like, James ain't take out the garbage yet. Pick up a bag, brother. Let's practice the scripture together. Each one of us should use whatever gift he has to receive. He has received to serve the Lord faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. You know, our love, our love for one another is the mark of true discipleship. That's what John 13, by, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. Your love for one another, how we take care of each other. That's how the world will know that we're his true disciples. It's what separates true believers from non-believers. A lack of involvement, and so many of us have gifts that the church can benefit from. Some of you have educations that we need desperately to help edify and build up the church. Some of you have skills and talents in places that are glaring needs in the church. We need you. And this is a call to everybody. But when we're not committed to the other things that we talked about, when it's me first, you don't see those needs. You don't see those needs. And a lack of involvement in a local church, in our church, is a sign of a me first mentality. You know, our service to the Lord and his church is greatly hindered by this me first mentality. And it's detrimental to the growth and nurturement Nourishment of the souls around us. Now, there is a way that we can destroy this me first mentality. You guys want to know about it? It's the others first mentality. See how simple that was? This was exemplified by Jesus himself in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. How many of us will become poor so that someone else could become rich? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. In Matthew 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called in Philippians 2 to have the same attitude as Jesus, to do nothing through selfish ambition or vain conceit, to esteem others better than ourselves, 
to look out for the interests of others. That doesn't mean just the things that we do or don't do. It also means the things we say. Ephesians 4 talks about speaking in such a way that we build each other up, encourage one another. Our words should be used to encourage each other. This is one way we can use our words to build up the body. Jesus exemplifies this principle because he desires for every one of us to do well. It's also exemplified by the church in Macedonia and Philippians in Philippi. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, it says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. But I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded for us, with us, for the, pl- the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us, keeping in God's will. You know, this church was not a wealthy church. They were a poor church, yet they wanted to give. They wanted to be included. They didn't want to be left out. They didn't want to be considered a a, a poor church because they were rich in faith. They were rich in generosity. And Paul held them up as an example. Not because of how much they give, but because of their hearts and attitudes of wanting to be a part of it. And you think, well, why were these people so eager? Why were they so motivated? It's because in verse 5 it says they gave themselves to Jesus first. Jesus was Lord, and that's why they did it. It wasn't because they watched a bunch of videos on special contribution or because they heard a bunch of messages on giving. It was because Jesus is Lord of their lives. And if they give to Jesus first, then giving to other people comes second nature. When we give our lives to Jesus first, we develop an other first mentality. The Philippians had an others first mentality. In Philippians 4, verse 14, it says, Yes, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving. And receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This church was committed to the mission. They weren't able to go around like Paul, so they supplied the person who could do it. They gave to the man who could plant churches, who could strengthen churches. And when we give, this is what we're doing. You know, there's a way you should, there's more ways to share your faith than just opening your mouth, opening your pockets, opening your heart, opening your home. Those are ways we share our faith. Those are ways we give away our faith. And here at the Philippian church, They supported Paul in the mission work because they were co-workers with Paul. You know, when we put God first, it ensures that needs would be met. And God, in turn, will meet our needs. You know, I thank God that my wife and I, as long as we've been in the church, as long as we've been together, have never missed a paycheck. 
And it's only because I believe we give to God. There were times we were able to give a couple hundred to God. There were times we could only give 20. But we gave. And when we gave, we gave because we trusted God. We were, we were committed to the mission. We understood where this is going. We understand the big picture. And I think sometimes when we don't see the big picture, it can really force us into this me mentality. We're a part of a greater calling, guys. Outside of Aaron Davis, outside of Harlem, we are part of a bigger picture. And God wants us to be committed to it. In Matthew 6, verse 33, can we still read the scripture? Is it all right? We still believe in this one? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When we put God first, he meets our needs. It may not come in the way, the shape, or form that you want it to, but God promised. This is a promise. This is not an option. This is a promise. You put God first, he will meet all your needs. Not some, not a few, all of them. But we got to trust God and put him first. Together, they put others first. This was the culture of the early church. This was the culture. As we wrap this up, ask yourself, do I have a me-first mentality? Do I have a me-first mentality? Look at your schedule. Look at your past week. Look at your past month. Does it reflect an others-first mentality? If we do, the church and our own spiritual lives will suffer. But if you want to get rid of the me-first mentality that you have to adopt an others-first mentality. The others-first principle will be developed as we make the kingdom of God first. When I look at Jesus, Jesus embodies the others-first lifestyle. He put others before his comfort. He put others before his needs. He put others before his sleep. That's a big one right there. He put others before he ate. He put your life before his own. In 1 Peter 2, and we'll close out here. We all know this passage. To this you will call because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus did it all for you, 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 and you. Every single one of us. He had a a others first mentality. As we take up our communion, let's reflect on the selflessness of Christ Jesus. Let's imitate his heart and his attitude. What do you have to lose putting others first? Jesus said that if we keep ourselves first, we can forfeit our own souls in doing so. Let's decide today that we're going to adopt and others first mentality. Let's ask God to show us where we've been putting others first and let's continue to do so and where we've been putting ourselves first 
Give us wisdom and give us direction. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father God, we come before you once again asking that you will help us, Lord, to have another's first mentality. Help us to put you first, Father, so that we can put others before ourselves. And God, help us to trust you with our needs and our desires and our wants so that we can put others first and that we can seek first your kingdom and that you will meet our needs because no one can meet our needs like you. And Father, we pray that as we take this communion, as we take the bread which represents the body of Christ, and as we take the juice that represents the blood that was spilled for our sanctification, God, we ask that you will help us to carry the cross in our hearts. Help us to always keep the sacrifice at the forefront of our minds and help us to live lives worthy of the gospel. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.